Thanks for listening to this teaching from City of Life Church. Check out www.col.tv for more great teachings, service times, and information on upcoming events. Now, let's join the service already in progress. How's everybody feeling today? Anybody grateful to be in church? Amen. I love being in church. I love the feeling of coming together with other messed up people. Can I get an amen from someone today? And uh, just worshiping together, learning together, growing together, being committed, being faithful together. One of the reasons God plants us in a house and in, in a specific place is so that we can demonstrate faithfulness and we can grow together. I mean, you could go all over the place. You could go anywhere you want all the time. And some people actually do that with their families. I have a friend uh, that attends here and he grew up with a very large family and a dad who was kind of a, an absentee father, uh, lots and lots of brothers and sisters. Uh, and grew up very poor in a very poor area of, of Kissimmee. And um, he, he found out when he was, you know, in his mid-teens that his dad had another family, uh, another wife and another family that lived a couple streets over. And uh, imagine how devastating and heartbreaking that was to him <clears throat> to realize that his dad was developing, you know, roots in multiple places. But, you know, there's something to be said about sticking with your family. And look at the person next to you say, I like seeing you here all the time. There's something about knowing that we're able to grow through challenging times together. And, and we can overcome together. We can, you know, you can be there and remember when the person that was next to you was grieving. But now they're in a season of joy. Or you can remember, you know, when someone is grieving. Hey, I remember just not long ago you were in a season of joy. Hang in there. It's, it's coming back around again. So there's something wonderful to be said about faithfulness and, and, and just being in one place for a long time. I, I appreciate people that have been here for a long time. I look at the links and I look at, you got the Akers family over here that my parents are great friends with and the Bomrucks here and the Swartz that are up here. Actually, we don't have tons and tons of families that have been here since the beginning, but when I see people that have been here for a long time, there's a power in that. There's a power in that because if you're looking, you can always find the next best thing. Uh, it, 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 hold, hold on, hold on. I, I thank you. I mean, I, I agree. I'm not. I'm going to go going for applause today. You can always find the next best thing. Uh, but there's a lot of power in faithfulness. There's a lot of power in faithfulness for your family. Uh, that's why families need to stick it out together. That's why you stay with your spouse when it, you're not looking so good. That's why you stay with your spouse, maybe if they're not looking so good. That's why you stay with your spouse when you're not getting along. Because I promise you, if you stick through those times and you let God continue to grow each of you individually, you're going to come to some better times. God is going to do something new in each one of you individually, which means together, if you stick around, if you stick around. Have you ever seen one of those videos on, on YouTube or you're scrolling through a feed somewhere? And I'm just giving away a message I was going to preach at a later time. I don't even care because somebody needs this today. You, you ever seen one of those videos that when you're scrolling through, it says, watch till the end? You know what I'm talking about? Watch till the end? What's the point of that? The point of that 
is if you start watching this and you go by what you're seeing in the first 30 seconds or the first 45 seconds, you'll quit before the interesting part. And if you stick with it until the very end, you're going to see something that will blow you away. So look at someone next to you and say, watch till the end. Come on, that's for a family today. That's for somebody here today that's getting tired of your job. That's for someone here today that's getting tired of believing for a dream in your life. We have to have some faithfulness. Did you know that faithfulness too, it's not something that you do. It's not just something that you do. Faithfulness is a way to describe who you are. So it's a way to describe something. Yeah, it's not, it's not like, oh, I, I'm going to be faithful to this. It's really just an expression of who you are. So I love when people are faithful. Be faithful. Work on who you are, and faithfulness will be a result of working on who you are in Christ. That has nothing to do with my message today. But I do believe in Jesus' name that that is for some families today. And don't get bored when I preach a message called Watch Till the End, because I've had this idea for a while. I just haven't, I haven't preached it yet. All right, so we're in this series called No Lost Causes. Uh, and last week, I wanted to just report to you that we had an unbelievable Heart for the House Day last week, and we were able to raise all of our money for our new campus equipment. So why don't you give yourselves a huge hand today? That's, that's amazing. So we're going to be able to go ahead and purchase the equipment for the broadcast campus, uh, to, to, to the main equipment to broadcast over there. There's still a lot to be done. Uh, in the total scheme of things, we, we raised about a third of what we're trying to raise for Heart for the House. Today is going to be an extra day uh, for those of you that wanted to get one of the bricks uh, that represents a $500 gift. That Heart for the House time is going to extend to today. So uh, if you did not give last week and you missed the service and you still want to give for Heart for the House, uh, you can still do the texting heart space, then dollar amount. To 1-855-997-6900. If you're watching online, you can also do that. Or if you're here and you just want to give this way, you can give at col.tv uh, forward slash give. Uh, you can also give with the red envelopes today, and that will be counted toward uh, our heart for the house uh, for this year. So turn with me to uh, John chapter 9, verses 1 through 41. I, two weeks ago, started... Um, a message that I guess we'll just call uh, I once was blind uh, because it was the first half of an of a enormous passage of scripture that's about Jesus healing a blind man and the context for Jesus healing this blind man is he has just come back out of uh, John chapter 8 saying I am the light of the world and he is now the first person that he approaches after he says I am the light of the world and and offends a lot of people by saying I am the light of the world, he sees someone who has never experienced light. And now he is going to demonstrate the fact that he is the light of the world in a physical miracle, something that is, is going to elicit wonder, it's going to elicit awe, it's going to be a sign, it's going to point to God's power. Uh, it's, it's going to be beautiful, but it's also going to be an analogy for spiritual blindness. So not only is this man in this story receiving a physical miracle, being able to see, it's going to be a, an analogy for, the, for future people, including me and you, of what spiritual blindness actually looks like. And in this story, to kind of summarize it, it says that he was going along his way, 
and the disciples saw this blind guy and asked him, he said, who sinned this man or his parents that he was born blind? And kind of in explaining this uh, story a couple of weeks ago, I, I, I referred to the idea that that question, whose fault is it? Is it his parents' fault or is it our fault? And, or, or is it his fault? It is a question that we commonly deal with and we struggle with about suffering in our life. We want to pin suffering or blame suffering on one person or, or our, on ourselves. And I call that the anger track. The anger track is to say everything is my parents' fault. Everything is my uncle's fault. Everything is the, the organization that I was in. They were just not you know, big enough thinkers. They didn't treat people kind enough and they marginalized me and they hurt me and, and, and now you're just going around your whole life or an individual did this to me. And that's really kind of the first type of question. It's the logic that the, these disciples are using when seeing this man in an unfortunate situation. They, they assume it's someone's fault. The second track uh, is called the guilt track. And it kind of infers that we can bring this kind of stuff on ourselves. Something as terrible as congenital blindness. We can bring, bring that on ourselves because of our own sin. And Jesus just doesn't even get into this debate at all. He says neither. It's, it's not anybody's fault why he is in the situation that he's in. In fact, he's in this situation in order that God can receive some glory from it. Okay, so, so before we start blaming everyone else, before you start blaming church or blaming one evil leader that destroyed your life or blaming an ex-spouse that walked out on you and destroyed your future, everything was looking so good, before you go down that road, and then before you start blaming yourself. I was talking with a friend yesterday who was watching, he doesn't even attend our church, he's <clears throat> very successful person who, who watched the message, he was saying, hey, I needed to hear that message that you preached. He said, because... I deal with that second one, the guilt one. I, I deal with the one feeling like I'm bringing a bunch of bad stuff on myself. And the, the perils of that mentality uh, are not just that you can believe that you bring all this negative stuff on yourself, but it also, if you flip it on its head, that what you're saying is I believe I can earn all the negative things, but the scary part of it is you also believe somehow that you can earn all the good things. That's the other side of it. So Jesus kind of breaks all that down and he goes, neither. And then I'm going to talk to you today. It's called Now I See, and I'm going to explain the rest of the story. Father, thank you for your goodness, your presence here today. We pray in Jesus' name that every person's heart would be uplifted today, that the power of the Holy Spirit would just make this word come alive in our hearts. Lord, help me to deliver this in a way that breaks chains. Lord, the power of your word is so strong that brings healing, that brings life, that brings hope to every broken situation. Lord, we continue to pray for our church. Thank you for what you've done in heart for the house. Lord, continue to let a spirit of generosity be in everything that we do. Lord, let us reach our community in brand new ways. We thank you for all that you're doing. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Hey, by the way, you know, it was awesome. I, this, this guy that uh, doesn't even attend our church, as I said, uh, he, he doesn't even live anywhere around here. Uh, he heard about what we were doing for... Uh, Christmas and for Thanksgiving and gave one of the largest gifts anyone's ever given to our church uh, for single moms for Christmas. So I want to have a huge hand for that. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Uh, we got somebody that, that just got blessed. I, I love that. I, lo I love seeing that. So hey, let's get back into this. So in this story, it's interesting. Jesus sees this guy and kind of infers something that makes us uncomfortable. He infers that Whatever suffering that this guy is going through was intended to be as it is so that God can receive glory from it. 
Okay, if we start really thinking about what that means in our lives, about our suffering, about our problems, about our challenges, because we kind of have a mentality, I remember before I had it all figured out, I was doing all this bad stuff and my life was terrible. Now that I know everything, look at someone next to you and say, ha ha. Now that I know everything and I know how to do everything perfectly, I'm going to be rich and I'm going to always be healthy and I'm going to always have the best relationships. I'm always going to be celebrated. I'm always going to do. And we sort of have this mentality that when we come to Christ, that everything in our life is perfect. The Bible doesn't say that. It says that all things work together for the good. It doesn't say all things are good. It says all things work together for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. You will become discontent so quick and run away from the faith if you believe that there's no suffering once you come to Christ. I don't want you to, I mean, I don't want you to, you know, feel like I'm making a negative declaration, but I just want you to say it so you hear it. Just say this, say, there is suffering as a Christian. It's just a simple fact. The apostles were crucified upside down. That hurts. They were boiled in oil. They were beheaded. These things are not enjoyable. They're suffering. It is literally, they're dying for the gospel. So to, to imagine that there's no persecution, it's like Paul wrote the majority of the New Testament from jail. I don't know what you think about when you hear the fact that he was in jail. But I mean, imagine trying to be creative in jail. I mean, I have a tough enough time when I'm sitting there with my laptop in a perfect atmosphere. And I got the nectar of heaven, a Diet Mountain Dew, cold, sitting right next to me. And, and it's like beautiful outside. And I'm looking out there. I mean, I'm in trouble in that situation. But imagine the anxiety of writing from jail and then going, okay, Holy Spirit, inspire me to write the Bible. Uh, for all, Inspire me to, to correctly type what you want me to type, the Bible. He was in jail. So to imagine for a moment... So you're saying, well, you're trying to parallel this guy with me. Yeah, exactly. I'm trying to parallel who this guy was, what he went through with what you're going through and what I go through. There is suffering. Stop blaming people for your suffering. Can someone say amen today? Stop blaming yourself for your suffering. Let's realize a fact, a fact of life. My dad used to say it this way. He always used to say, life is problematic. Amen? Life is problematic. There are things that are so complex about sin and the way it separates us from God, the way we're born into spiritual blindness, like this man was born into natural blindness. There are so many complexities to this world, so many challenging things about nations, the way nations develop and people and, and poverty in the world and different countries ha, are prosperous. Some countries are not prosperous. There's so many complex things that, it, that if we try to figure out one category to put everything under uh, with suffering and, and why certain people have this, we're going to get so uh, disenchanted that we will, like I said, we will run away from the faith. But what Jesus is trying to show us is that no matter who we are, no matter what we're going through, no matter what burdens we've been given, no matter what we've been through, God will use all of that for his glory if we allow him to. That is the key, if we allow him to. When I look out here, I see so many friends. I see so many people that I know your story. I know things that you've been through that, I mean, it just kills me to know that you've been through those things. But 
as I'm looking. I mean, I'm not just saying like one, two, three. I'm talking like maybe over a dozen people that I'm just seeing this morning just like this. Just the stories. God has already used those things in your life. I can start pointing at you. God has already used those things. Why? Because you allowed him to. So today, we have to learn how to allow God to use the challenges of our life to not get sidetracked down the anger track, to not get sidetracked down the guilt track, but to walk down the glory track. we got to learn how to walk down the glory track, that everything that we go through is for a purpose. Now, for those of you that are here that may believe that, you know, you look at like Deuteronomy 20 or something and you go, well... The Bible says that the sins of the father are passed on to the, to the children. And, and, you know, yeah, people do suffer because of their parents. Well, I think that is a, a real misinterpretation of what the Bible teaches about generational curses and things like that. I think specifically with Christ, uh, those things are totally done away with. Look at someone next to you and say, I am free in Jesus today. Come on, someone confess this today. Say, he that the sun sets free is free indeed. Come on, put your hand in the air and say, I am free indeed. Come on, say, no curses, no shame, no guilt holds me back from my past. I'm completely free in Jesus' name. It's garbage. That junk is garbage. It's people that don't understand what it means to be a new creation. We have been made a new creation in Christ. Ezekiel 18, 1 through 3, read Ezekiel 18 for yourself. It's, it's almost kind of funny what God says to Ezekiel. He says, says, the word of the Lord came to me and goes, what do you, pe <laughs> I love it, what do you, pe this is God speaking, what do you people mean? I mean, you know, today he'd be like, you people. What do you people mean? By quoting this proverb, God's mad, they're using a proverb. What do you mean by quoting this proverb about the land of Israel? The parents eat sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. So think about what that means. It means because of the parents drink, eating sour grapes, that the, that the children, their teeth are set on edge. So the sourness of what their parents have done are affecting the children. That's what that proverb means. It means because of the sins of your parents that your children are affected. God is mad because this is a saying in Israel. He says, as surely as I live, you will no longer quote this proverb in Israel. I love one version goes, stop saying that. It's so good. It says, for everyone belongs to me. The parent as well as the child, both alike belong to me. The one who sins is the one who will die. He goes on to explain this in detail. It's a long chapter. He says stuff like, if you got a really great parent who's done all the right things, made all the right moves, and his kid does a bunch of stupid stuff, his kid's going to die. It says if you've got a really horrible parent who has done everything wrong and the child has been raised in sin, raised the wrong way, or raised the, uh, a terrible way with bad examples, but the, child, the children or the son or the daughter decides to serve God, the son will live. Look at someone next to you and say a word that scares everyone sometimes. Personal responsibility. <laughs> no finger pointing, right? There's just simply... I mean, man, when you stand before God, that's why sometimes, you know, when people want to, you know, get saved and they walk up there and they are holding hands with their girlfriend or something and they're like, come down. I just, I'm just like, can you not do that? 
Stop. I mean, just, just, I mean, you know, you, if you want to hold hands outside or something, it's like even, even holding hands in church with your spouse when you're worshiping, I understand that someone, that people want to do that. But the only reason, it's not that I'm not romantic, it's just a simple idea of there's only room for one before God's throne. What space is it? Yours. You're not going to be able to point at anyone. You're not going to be able to say, look what they made me do. God looks at you and judges you on the merits of what you have done and what you have done alone. So this whole idea about, about you know, is it my parents' fault? Is it this this is just blown away by this idea of personal responsibility that we even find in the Old Testament. Ezekiel, how much more in the New Covenant has Jesus wiped away all that old stuff? So Jesus goes on and he does something that is, is pretty, pretty incredible here. He spits in the, the dirt and he spits in the mud and, and he creates some, you know... Yeah, paste. Yeah, I like that. I'm just taking, I'm taking you know, ideas here today. Uh, he, he, he t- <laughs> it, sa- it, it says it right here. It says, as long as his day, we, I like this too. He says, you know, after answering the question, neither his parents nor him, but that the works of God might be done in him. It says, as long as it is day, we must do the works of him who has sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. And, and what that really means is in our lifetimes, the, the, the day is analogous analogous to our, our lifetime, and we, we have a limited time in our life to do great things for God, because night is coming for everyone at some point. And what he's saying is, he says, while I'm in the world, I'm the light of the world. And after he said this, he spit in the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and stuck it in this man's eyes. Now, I was just talking a little bit a couple weeks ago about, can you imagine being blind your whole life? Number one, how few people would ever touch you intimately. And, and I don't mean sexually, I'm talking about intimately. Someone that just, how few people, number one, you're probably not close to people. But to have someone just put their hand on your face or anyone near, anywhere near you, this man comes up to him and he's hearing all this stuff. Is this man, is it his mom's fault, is it his fault? He goes, neither. Now Jesus comes up to this guy. He spits in the ground, makes some mud, and he puts it all, just smears it all over this guy's eyes. So this guy's already blind. Now he's got something covering his blindness. He's got something on the outside and he tells him, go. And wash in the pool of Siloam. And the word Siloam actually means sent. And I love this about Jesus. That he sends the guy from where he is to somewhere else. There's always a directive when it comes to God. God never wants you to be stuck in the place that you are. He always wants to get you moving when he does something in your life. So he sends him. It says, so the man went and washed and came home seeing. And I was just getting into this a couple of weeks ago. Why did he do it this way? I think, number one, Jesus did it this way because it's offensive. And, and what I mean by offensive is, is when Jesus does a miracle in your life, it will always offend everyone who is around you. It will always offend the people who have become accustomed to your old way of life. You can, and if it doesn't offend you, it will offend everyone else. Because I'm going to tell you something. He, the guy may have done one of these when he felt that stuff. Like, oh, what is that? But it was nothing compared to everyone who was standing around going, ooh. Watching, ooh. That's gross. I don't care if I was blind. I wouldn't want someone touching me like that. that. That's what's going on. It may not be recorded, but we know that's what's going on. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says the message of the cross is foolishness 
to those who are perishing. It's foolishness to people that are not saved. When they see what God does in your life, they look at you and go, that's, that's gross, that's ridiculous, that's offensive. But it says, for those of us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For us, we go, go ahead. Put, if you want to put some mud on me, you want to spit right in there, go ahead, right here. Do whatever you got to do because I'm sick of this old way of living. I'm ready for something brand new in my life. It's offensive. It's personal. Psalm 40, 17 says, as for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. Somebody put your hand on your heart and say, God's thinking about me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. I love that about the Lord, that he thinks about me. He's taking thought about me. He cares about your story. He cares about what you've been going through. He cares about what you hurt over. He cares over about what you have been struggling with. It is personal. Jesus got personal with that guy. He got up close. He did an act that was very personal. And Jesus wants to do that with you as well. He wants to come and redeem your story personally, face to face. Lay his hands on you. I love number three. It's an act of new creation. He was sort of mirroring what had happened in Genesis 2. It says, then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. It, it, this is not the first time that God had reached down into the earth and created something from the dust. He was showing this is a brand new thing. I am going to do something in you that does not exist right now. I am going to bring material into your life that is not a part of your world right now. When God brings the, the supernatural, the spiritual into your life, he's adding something to you that does not yet exist. He is creating something in you. That's why 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The new creation has come. The old has gone. God wants to do something new in your life. That's why Jesus is doing this. So it's an act of new creation. Someone say, I am new. Come on, you're new today in Jesus' name. I love this too. It requires submission. <clears throat> this guy's got to chill out for a minute. He's got to let Jesus do his thing. He's got to admit, I have, I don't know what, they, there's something on my eyes. Uh-oh, there's something on my eyes. Okay, it's wet. Oh, it's, oh, it's okay. It's, oh, okay. I feel it. But he ain't running away, is he? You may be in that season right now. God's doing something and you go, okay, whoa, something weird's happening. Going through something strange. Oh, it's uncomfortable. Oh, it's freaking me out. My faith is running low right now. You, you, amen? Isn't that what it kind of feels like sometimes when God is working on you? You don't even understand it. I mean, the guy has no, I mean, he doesn't understand it. But he's got to submit to what he doesn't understand if he's ever going to get the miracle. You know what I love about this last part? is It not only requires submission, it requires obedience. Because what did, what's the last thing he told him? He said, go and wash. He's like, get away from the old garbage. Get away from what you're comfortable with. Get away from what you've gotten used to. Go and wash this off. And, and what I love is it, doesn't it remind you of the story in 2 Kings with Naaman, who, who was, by some estimation, a terrorist, uh, in some people's opinion. 
But Elisha sent a messenger to say to him, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. He was a pretty powerful guy, this Naaman. And he had leprosy. And he wanted to get, get healed. But it says, but Naaman went away angry because when he went to Elisha, he was expecting something else. Listen, he says this. He says, I thought that he would come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. So Naaman not only wants God to do something for him, he wants him to do it the way he wants him to do it. Can I tell you something real quick? God probably ain't going to do for you something the way you want him to do it. That's the whole point of why he's God. He challenges us. He requires us to get in faith. He likes us being in the position of going, okay, oh, that's weird. Why? Because we're vulnerable. We're submitted. He's, he's about to do something else that we don't understand. Now he's going to give us directions to go. Why? Why does he tell him to go? I think he wants to see if he really believes it or not. Go and wash. Same thing with Naaman. And I love this. Naaman at least had some guy in his life. You know, Naaman was ticked off and was about to leave. He's like, man, he, you know, how come he didn't call down fire like that one time? I don't understand it. I'm leaving. And his servant is like, dude, what is your problem? Are you serious? If he had told you, this is exactly what he says. He goes, if he had told you to do some great thing, you would have done it. But what does it matter to you? Go down to the river and wash yourself seven times. He's like, okay, fine. Fine. You know, you know what I'm saying? That's, that's sometimes the way we are, too, when it comes to obedience. We're reluctant to obey. Three, four, five, six. Seven, oh my gosh, you know, and, and, the, and the miracle comes. Yeah, it does, because why? We're obeying. Obey even when you don't understand it. You know, obey after the first time, after the second time, after the third time, after the fourth time, after the fifth time, after the sixth time. You keep obeying. You never stop obeying. Obey what God has told you to do. And he got his miracle. And... As we kind of move to the end of the story, I read, you know, a couple weeks ago how amazing I thought this guy was. He kept answering all of these, you know, negative questions about you. Who was this? You know, where is he? I don't know. Uh, what do you think about him? I think he's a prophet. Um, you know, then they sent for the, his parents because nobody could actually believe all the haters uh, were trying to, to, to disprove that this man was ever blind. I mean, this guy had been blind his whole life. Now the only excuse they can come up with is, well, he was never blind. Then they wanted to say it's not even him. They got his parents, is this your son? Yeah. Was he really blind? Yeah. And they're like, oh. And then finally they ask him and say, you know, what, what do you think? He goes, is he a sinner? And he goes, I don't know if he's a sinner or not. All I know is I was blind, but now I see. And he's being sarcastic. He's, he's going, obviously, he's not a sinner. Because then he goes on to say, that's remarkable. You don't even know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. What we know we know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to a godly person that does his will. Nobody's ever even heard of opening the eyes of, of someone born blind. If this man were not from God, he couldn't do anything. Here's the end of the story. And this is where I'm going to close this part of, of No Lost Causes. Jesus finds this guy after it's all over with. In verse 35, it says, Jesus heard they threw this guy out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? He says, who is he? 
tell me so I may believe in him. He says, you have seen him. He's the one who's speaking with you. And the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped Jesus. So what happened is the result, not just of getting physical vision and, and receiving spiritual light, but now that or physical light, this man is now receiving spiritual light. And his eyes, his spiritual eyes have become open. And now he believes in Jesus and it causes him to worship and change his whole life. Here's the kicker right here. The Pharisees heard what Jesus was saying, all the religious snobs. Because Jesus said, for judgment I have come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. And when they heard him say this, they said, oh, what are we blind to? I love his response. Jesus said, if you were blind, he just, he just destroys them. He goes, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But because now that you claim you can see, your guilt remains. You can't ever win with this guy, can you? Isn't it unbelievable? So what, what he's saying is he goes, yeah, you just messed up right there by saying that you can see. He's going, the whole point of this is that you are the blind guy. 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 I am the blind guy. Jesus is saying that is the whole point of everything I'm trying to teach you. We are spiritually blind. In Luke 18, Jesus talks to what, what the Bible says, some of those who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everyone else. Can I give you a real quick test to know whether or not you've been in the presence of Jesus? You want one real quick? Here's a test. Everyone can take this test right now. This will help you know. Do you feel superior to anyone? Oh, I mean, don't, don't answer that so quickly. Do you feel superior to anyone? Anyone, any organization, any leader, any person in your life? Because if you do, you have not been in the presence of Jesus. Okay, this story, Jesus says, two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like those other people. Which people? The people at my old church. The people that overlook others. The people that don't give as much as I give. The people who don't speak in tongues as often as I speak in tongues. The people that don't prophesy the way I prophesy. The people that don't speak the old king's English the way I do. Whatever. Just fill in the blanks. The people whose worship leaders don't wear skinny jeans. We can go down the list. The people whose church doesn't have multi-campus. Be careful. Don't answer that so quick. What if you feel superior to the little church that's got 20 people? Something's wrong with you. God has given everybody a measure. The little church with 20 people, you don't know the story of that pastor. You don't know the story of that pastor, how hard he worked to get that thing off the ground. You don't know the story of what he's fighting up against. My dad pastored churches with 20 people. Started them and ended them with that amount. 
You don't know the story. Stop judging people. Stop, because what I'm saying is that we do feel superior. That's why I challenged you to not say no so quick. You don't feel superior to a murderer, to a, a rapist, to a person of a, other, another religion. This is what Jesus is trying to teach us, that we are blind if we think we've got it figured out. When we think we know everything, and we're better than this person, we're better than that person, we know nothing. It's only when we admit we don't know anything that we actually know something. Can, come on, can someone give God a praise today? It says two men went up to the temple to pray. One says, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. He points to a specific guy, tax collectors as we know, scum of the earth in this culture. I fast twice a week. I tithe. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven. Why? Why? Because he knew himself too well. And if you knew yourself well enough, you couldn't look up to heaven either. If you really looked inside your heart at what God has overlooked and the grace that he has had for you, you wouldn't be able to look up to heaven either. But the sad part is most of us look up too quickly because we forget too quickly what God has brought us out of. But this guy couldn't even look up there. He says, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. He knew who he was. He knew I'm blind. I can't see anything unless you show me. I don't have it all figured out, God. I'm a work in progress. Why do you think that? Come on, give God a praise. You gotta walk with me. You gotta lead me. You gotta teach me on this journey or I'll miss it. I'll get it wrong. And Jesus said, I tell you this man rather than the other went home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled. And those who humble themselves will be exalted. Don't ever get in the, I'm glad I'm not like them mentality. It's a mentality. And even people that have been genuinely wronged feel this way. If you're not careful, that'll turn into a spirit. That's why I ask you, do you feel superior to anyone? backwards with Jesus. Today, instead of trying to see the way to salvation for many of us is to admit that we're blind. Let him do to you what he did to this blind man. Let him offend you. Let him get personal with you. Let him create something new in you. Submit to what he wants to do. Then obey what he has said. This concludes the teaching. If you'd like to support what God is doing here at City of Life, click on the Give button at www.col.tv or text a dollar amount to the number 855-997-6900. We hope you'll join us again.